You are listening to the most comprehensive source for news and views about today's unions. This is LaborUnionNews.com's Labor Relations Radio and your host, Peter List. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Hey, thanks for turning on and tuning in to Labor Relations Radio. Well, as bad as some of you might be thinking the NLRB's double whammy was last week, it could have been worse for employers. But then again, it's only Monday and this week's shoes haven't dropped yet, have they? But for a lot of people, last week was a hell of a week. And I know a lot of people are still trying to put all of the pieces together of what the NLRB did. And so to that end, I tried to get one of our attorney friends to come onto the podcast at really short notice, like this morning. But as you can imagine, everyone was too busy on a Monday morning on the heels of last week's happenings. And so I'm just going to wing it here. So this episode is going to be a fairly short overview of what happened. And here's the long and short of it. Just when employers, unions, and most labor lawyers around the country were starting to digest the NLRB's announcement on Thursday to return to ambush elections, on Friday, the NLRB issued its long-awaited CMEX decision, which is 121 pages. Now, the fact is, the NLRB's ambush elections, or quickie elections, were not unexpected. However, the fact that the NLRB rolled them out back-to-back ambusher quickie elections on Thursday and de facto card check through the CMEX decision on Friday sort of caught everyone a little bit off guard. And as a matter of course, a lot of people, myself included, are still digesting how the new procedures will work. So what we're going to do today is cover some of the highlights of both the ambush election rules and the CMEX decision which was widely expected to foist the Joy Silk Doctrine across the land. And we'll also talk about how it could have been worse. Now, I'm going to say this up front. Although I do on occasion sleep at a Holiday Inn, I am not a labor lawyer. If you're an employer and you have questions about any of what we're covering in today's episode of Labor Relations Radio and how it may apply to your organization, please call your labor attorney. If you don't have a labor attorney, give us a call or email me. We know some of the best labor attorneys around the country, several of whom have been on guests here on Labor Relations Radio, and we'd be happy to give you some names. So this episode is really just to give you an overview of what the NLRB did last week. So let's talk about ambush or quickie elections first. Some of you who are sort of long in the tooth, know that during the Obama NLRB years, there was something called ambush election rules that were put into place in 2014. Well, the bottom line is this. The ambush election rules are back. However, they don't go into effect, according to the NLRB's press release, until December 26th to, quote, ensure adequate time for the NLRB's regional offices to implement the new procedures, end quote. 
So for those of you have, who have not been around the labor relations world that long, the reason these election rules were referred to as ambush election rules is simply because unions have the ability to secretly run an organizing campaign with an employer's employees underground for weeks or months and then spring a petition on an unsuspecting employer and under the Obama NLRB's ambush rules have a fast election, which would thereby increase their win rates substantially, which, by the way, if you're looking at the win rates of unions today, are nearing about 75%. If you're a subscriber to laborunionnews.com, you know we've been keeping track of it by month for the last several months, and in February... It was 88%. I think March, April, and May were at uh, 80%. And it just dipped down in July. June, I believe, was also 80%. So unions are already winning a vast majority of the campaigns that they're participating in, but this makes it even easier for them. So what happened with the Obama-era election rules was Donald Trump. In 2019, Trump's NLRB rolled back the ambush election rules under President Obama's NLRB, and obviously that did not sit well with the unions or their lawyers. So under the Biden NLRB, they have now effectively reversed all of the Trump NLRB's rules, returning to what they were before the Trump board. So now now we're kind of back to where we were under President Obama's administration or his NLRB. So to put this into context with the new CMEX doctrine, if there is to be a secret ballot election conducted by the National Labor Relations Board, it is possible for it to happen within weeks as opposed to a month or more post-RC petition filing. So an RC petition is where a union files a petition to hold a certification election. However, I'm not going to get into the procedural details on how the ambush election process is going to work, but keep that in the con- uh, keep the concept of it in the back of your mind as we get into the new CMEX decision. So for those of you who subscribe to LaborUnionNews.com's News Digest or listen to this podcast, you may recall that we've either posted articles or talked about the NLRB General Counsel's desire to impose card check unionization through what is referred to as the Joy Silk Doctrine. And for a lot of us who are watching and read the general counsel's complaint in the CMEX case, it appeared that CMEX was going to be the vehicle to institute the Joy Silk Doctrine. So to give you a little bit of background on the Joy Silk Doctrine, Joy Silk is the name of a case that went back to 1949 and essentially imposed straight-up card check. Under the Joy Silk Doctrine, if a majority of employees signed union authorization cards and demanded, and the union demanded the employer recognize the union, the union would be certified unless the employer could prove what's called a good faith doubt that the union did not have majority card signed. And that, of course, raised a few questions like how does an employer find good faith doubt or you know, what is good faith doubt and how is that expressed? So uh, fortunately, that question does not need to be answered because the NLRB CMEX decision does not implement card check in that fashion. Instead, it provides a mechanism for employers to call for a secret ballot election. So today, if a union 
issues, I should say, as of Thursday of last week, if a, a union were to get a majority of cards signed and the employer did not respond, then the union would typically file an RC petition, a recognition for certification to hold an election. Now, in under CMEX, as of Friday and going forward, if a union gets a majority of cards signed, the onus shifts to the employer. So here's what the NLRB stated on page 29 of the CMEX decision. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. In response to criticisms of reviewing courts and our recognition of relevant intervening changes in board law, our standard does not apply to an employer's subjective good faith doubt of a union's majority status. In order to invoke the board's election machinery in response to a union's demand for bargaining, an employer will not need to prove a good faith doubt of the union's majority status, nor will the general counsel have to prove a lack of good faith doubt. Rather, the employer is free to seek a board election in which the union's majority set status or the union's majority can be tested. However, and this is a big however, in the event of employer unfair labor practices that make a fair election unlikely, the bargaining order imposed under the revised standard appropriately focuses on the best objective evidence of a union's majority status at the time of a request for recognition before the employer's unfair labor practices were committed. End quote. So to sum this up, CMEX is not Joy Silk per se, where employers would have to have good faith doubt in order for employees to have a secret ballot election. However, it is de facto card check if employers do not take affirmative action by filing an RM petition if they receive a union's demand letter. In other words, if you're an employer and a and you receive a letter from a union demanding recognition and you hem and haw for a couple weeks, ignoring the letter, you will be unionized. However, and I haven't seen the actual time frame in the CMEX decision, but I've seen reference to it in other write-ups, articles, etc. As an employer, you'll have roughly about two weeks, perhaps less, to file that RM petition with the National Labor Relations Board if you want a secret ballot election to take place. So that's the gist of the new election procedures under the CMEX decision. It's a seismic shift, but it's not an eight on the Richter scale. It's more like a three or a four. But there are a couple of others, uh, other issues in CMEX that people were on the lookout for, and they don't appear to have been ruled on within the decision. The first is the ban on captive audience meetings. It does not appear that the NLRB ruled that captive audience meetings are unlawful, as was expected in the CMEX decision. However, I would suggest that you not breathe a sigh of relief just yet because it is Monday, and by the time you listen to this, the board may issue a ban through any number of cases that are likely coming down the pike. The other issue that I found Um, to be absent or not ruled on in the CMEX decision is the issue of employers telling employees that they could not deal directly with them if they unionize. And this pertains to Section 9A of the Act, which does allow unionized employees to present grievances to their employer. In the general counsel's 
brief on the CMEX decision, it was stated that an employer violates Section 8A1 of the Act when it, quote, explicitly misrepresents an employee's right under the proviso to Section 9A to deal directly with their employer after selecting an exclusive bargaining representative, end quote. Notwithstanding the NLRB's own basic guide to the National Labor Relations Act, which states, quote, once a collective bargaining representative has been designated or selected by its employees, it is illegal for an employer to bargain with individual employees, with a group of employees, or with another employee representative. End quote. The GC's argument was that by not pointing out this little nuance under Section 9A of the Act that states that any individual employee or group of employees shall have the right at any time to present grievances to their employer and have such grievances adjusted without the intervention of the bargaining representative, provided, number one, the adjustment is not inconsistent with the terms of any collective bargaining agreement then in effect, and number two, the bargaining representative has been given the opportunity to be present at such adjustment, end quote. Now, again, while this was referenced in the CMEX decision, unless I'm mistaken, it does not appear that the issue is specifically ruled to be unlawful. For employers who are explaining this to employees, you may want to include this proviso under Section 9A because it's safer to be more accurate. And if a union constitution explains further what exclusive representation means for members, explain that as well. However, again, it's Monday. The NLRB may have preserved that issue for another decision to be issued this week or next. So lastly, although CMEX is not a return to 1949's Joy Silk, a.k.a. out-and-out card check, excepting for, you know, good faith doubt, in that employers can file RM petitions, it does expand bargaining orders on employers If, in the words of the NLRB, the board finds that an employer has committed unfair labor practices that frustrate a free, fair, and timely election, the board will dismiss the election petition and issue a bargaining order. That's an end quote. In the past, the severity of unfair labor practices or of an unfair labor practice would determine whether there would be a posting of a notice or perhaps a second election. The board appears to be doing away with second elections or perhaps even posting of notices. Any unfair labor practice could result in a bargaining order. So that's a bit different. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. Now let me close this up by bringing us back around to the ambush election rules that were announced on Thursday. And if you're a labor attorney or have... Uh, labor relations experience if you're a practitioner and you view any of this differently drop me a line leave a comment under the audio portion or give me a call because i'd be happy to discuss it and maybe have you on the podcast if an rc petition is filed under the ambush election rules that were announced on thursday the election time frame would mean you could have an election within a month's period of time three, four weeks, somewhere in there. However, if a union demands recognition and the employer has two weeks to file an RM petition under CMEX, then the ambush election time 
time frame or framework kicks in, by the time it's processed through the NLRB and scheduled, you're still looking at potentially five or more weeks down the road before an election takes place. I may be wrong on that, but that's kind of how I'm processing this out. In either case, whether it's an RC or an RM petition, the NLRB is eager to issue bargaining orders. And unless this new standard is overturned through the federal courts, it is on balance a win for unions. Again, as I said at the beginning, while CMEX is bad for employers, it could have been worse. So that's my cursory assessment of last week's double whammy from the NLRB. And we'll see what this week brings. If you're an employer and wondering what you should be doing right now, the easiest thing would be, as it always should be, is this. Find and fix your issues, expand your communications, train your supervisors, inoculate your employees. And with that, I've got to hit the road for a few days, but we'll try to make sure that you're in the loop as it happens. If the NLRB issues another decision, I'll pull over on the side of the road, shoot out a quick email, and if you're a subscriber, you should receive it. So that wraps up another episode of Labor Relations Radio. I'm your host, Peter List. If you want to reach out, you can reach out on Twitter at Workplace Report. That's at Workplace RPT. Give us a call at 1-888-668-6466 or leave a comment under the audio portion of this episode. Thanks for listening and have a great week. I don't want to waste my integrity. I'm just a man living a one eye stand to tell you what I You mean. have been listening to Labor Relations Radio. Oh, Black Queen, take me to that place. Hey, Labor Relations Radio listeners, this is just a quick reminder. If you enjoy Labor Relations Radio, make sure you share these episodes with your colleagues and make sure you and your colleagues visit laborunionnews.com and subscribe to our News Digest.